Greetings from Hannibal, Missouri. And welcome to Rivertown Review, the podcast. An informative and hopefully entertaining look at all things Hannibal. With Megan Rapp. People tend to come, visit, they like it here, they move here. And Harold Smith. In our biased viewpoint, this part of the country, this community, is an excellent place to be from. And now, Rivertown Review, the podcast. Here we go again. It is, I don't know, we're into the 30s somewhere as far as the Rivertown Review podcast, so we welcome you aboard. I'm Harold Smith. And I'm Megan Rapp. And as always, we thank you. You have so many choices, places you could go for your podcasting uh, enjoyment, and somehow or other, you wound up here. Whether it's by accident or on purpose, we don't care. Just... Mm. We're just we glad you're along it. for the ride. Yes, because we are, we have still, even though we are, I want to say 37, it's, it's, that's somewhere close. Uh, we have not run out of interesting topics, interesting people. We have and, barely scratched the surface and of if, Hannibal's interesting stuff. That's right. And uh, that said, I want to, I want to start with this. And this is something that we've, we've talked about with some others on some previous episodes um, of course, when people think of Hannibal, when a lot of people think of Hannibal, they think of Mark Twain and how he put Hannibal on the map. And we've gotten into what motivated Mark Twain. And we come down to it. And if anybody would understand this, it would be our guest this morning, Captain Steve Terry. We uh, First of all, thank you for joining us. My uh, pleasure. Yeah. And he's still trying to figure out what the heck we're doing here. What the heck he's doing here? We like to just invite people and then turn yeah. on the mic and just see what happens. Yeah, because I don't know how. Yeah, Steve did what what several people have done. First thing he does is sit down behind a mic and say, "So what are we doing?" <laughs> you know, which is a valid question, yeah, which absolutely. also leads to. I the thought thing. it had validity. I mean, hey, you know, yeah. why am I here? <laughs> and of course, we we got an existential on it. Yes. Man. Why why are any of us really here? That's right. However, if yes. we're going to talk about Hannibal. You can't talk about Hannibal, Missouri, on the banks of the mighty Mississippi River without mentioning the mighty Mississippi River, and we've done so. And yeah. as you alluded to, it was a um, it was a main source of inspiration for Mark Twain, who obviously put Hannibal on the map. And it has been a very important part of Hannibal since before Hannibal was a thing. Mm-hmm. The river has always played a part in this in this area. It's all about the river. It's all about the river, mm-hmm. and um, and and Captain Steve to me is synonymous with the Mississippi River in in my in my real in my in my job that pays the bills. Mm-hmm. Steve is the go-to guy if there is a travel writer, if there is someone who needs footage of the river, if there is someone who. You know, uh, once once uh, once a good interview of somebody who who has you know real experience with you know tourists or with the the Mississippi, Steve is it. Yeah, Captain Steve Terry is the captain of the Mark Twain Riverboat. That is uh, yes, that's true. You know, and I have to tell you, you know, the Mississippi River, way back in my younger days, you know, my friends dad owned a boat and I just couldn't get enough of that boat I wanted to go and do and have a great time and enjoy and um, I love the river even when I was 11 or 12 years old now you have to know that 
when Sam Clemens was living in town, I mean, the river was only a couple blocks from his home and he was probably in that more than he should have been at that time. And I didn't have that luxury because I lived on the other side of town. So I didn't get to go down and play in the river every day or have that tugging at me saying, come down here and see what we got. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, I keep comparing my life over the years along uh, kind of trying to see how the parallels work with Sam Clemens. And there are some parallels in my life compared to his. So, um, and it's all because of the river. That's, yeah. that's just put it where it is. It's, it's all because about of the, the river. river. Mm-hmm. So as the, um, and, and many people, I'm assuming probably even in Hannibal, um, you know, everyone knows the, uh, the March Green River boat. Um, they know it's a thing. They've probably ridden on it before. They may or may not know that it is a family-owned business. Mm-hmm. It is not like a lot of other large riverboat companies are owned by you know big corporations out on the coast. This is a this is a family um, operation. And um, how is it that the the boy who really enjoyed playing on on the on the boat when you were younger? How did you become Captain Steve? Well, you know, we might as well just rewind this back to 1977. <laughs> we'll just start there because it all fits together. But wish we had that fady yeah. woody, 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 woody music, you know. Yeah, the, the harps. Yeah. yeah. Either that or you know, yeah, get Wayne and and Garth there. And, you know, <laughs> but, that works. You like know, um, I graduated high school in '77, and. Uh, at the time, I was working for a local grocery store and, you know, graduated high school, uh, going to work, you know, 7 to 3.30, working in a grocery store, stocking shelves and doing whatever they tell you to do. And had a uh, assistant manager that liked to ride you a lot harder than he should for a kid that was 17 years old. And one day, because I graduated high school and I was full of knowledge and I was a graduate, you know, I just went up and told him, take the job and shove it because I'm out of here. <laughs> yep. And as I'm walking down the sidewalk, going to my car, I realize I just quit my job. <laughs> so now I'm an unemployed high school graduate. You know, how about that? Exactly. Well, uh, just a couple of days later, my best friend's brother said, you know, they need a deckhand down on the excursion boat. And I asked him, I said, well, what do I have to do to get that job? He says, show up. Yeah. And I thought, well, I can do this. <laughs> so I went down the very next day and I, I visited with Captain Harold Eskew who was the on-site manager and the captain of the boat at the time. And it was a little Mark Twain, as we know it fondly, because it was a 150-passenger split stern wheel excursion boat. And they did sightseeing cruises, five of them a day, every day, until Labor Day, and then they cut back. But anyway, um, I went and talked to him, and I said, you know, I'm interested in doing that. And he said, uh, when can you start? And I said, right now. And he said, how about tomorrow? So uh, <laughs> never did any paperwork, just showed up, you know, and, hey. and took the job. And um, that became my education. I mean, I started learning the very next day about life on the Mississippi, how things work out and what's going on. Now, as an apprentice, it's a lot like what Sam Clemens um writes about in the book, A Life on the Mississippi. I mean, it still parallels a lot of what he went through in that time, uh, even today, because it is an apprenticeship. If you want to be a pilot, you work an apprenticeship of at least two years. Actually, for my guys, it takes four, because most of them are college students, and they can't put in full years, so they only put in three or four months. But I started doing that, and um, it was very interesting. I learned a lot. Now, at this time, I was scheduled to go to 
college to become an industrial arts teacher. Hmm. And so I went to my dad shortly before I was supposed to leave for college. And he said, I said, dad, I said, I really want to change my path here. I'd like to go ahead and get my pilot's license on the river. Now this is only after working for him a month. Okay. So you got to get the idea. I made a decision pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And he, his response to me was, as long as you're doing something positive, I'm okay with it. So I made my career change at that time. Didn't realize it was going to be a career change. <laughs> I was just going for a license. I was already a licensed airplane pilot. I'd already gotten my license to do that. Ah. And so I wanted to become a river pilot. Well, in July of 1979, I became the youngest pilot on the Mississippi. Hmm. And um, little did I know at that time where it was going to take me for the future. Because the very next year, 1980, uh, Captain Eskew uh, made a career change. So I became the chief pilot and the... uh, assistant manager i guess it was of of the company and um so that put me working 30 days in a row running five trips a day and you know at 19 years old so Mm. needless to say it was a little bit of a stress and that but again it was something that i wanted to do and so having had that pilot's license and that at that time then i moved forward in the management and learning of the company now, the owner of the company at that time was Captain Robert Lump and his wife, Sally. And um, I learned a lot from Captain Lump as to how to promote, how to make things look good. I mean, he was he, he was a Class A person when it came to dollying up boats and, and doing it right. He wasn't so much the people person at times, <laughs> but he was, he was every bit of a... Uh, entrepreneur and knew how to put things together and make them classy so i that's began my learning procedure at that time Mm -hmm. and then uh captain lump or uh, decided to give up moving moving forward a little bit more uh, i stayed as the uh, assistant manager and chief pilot until 93 now at that time no back that up let me get this right 83 for 10 years i was a relief pilot for the company uh, which meant i was working another job and then on my days off nights off mornings off whatever i was going in and running the boat as a relief pilot and still working another full-time job because i had a family to feed there's that Mm -hmm. and once you have children running around the house you kind of get that idea well you know It'd be kind of nice to be around him a little bit, you know? Yeah, so just a little bit. anyway, um, for 10 years from 83 to 93, I believe that's correct. I was the, um, I was a relief pilot. And then in 93, uh, captain lump sought me out and asked me to come back to work for the company full time as a general manager and chief pilot. And, um, I was pretty comfortable doing what I was doing as a relief pilot. So I really wasn't excited about the change because that was also the flood of 93 which yes it was. you know we can talk about high water and flooding at a later issue mm. if you want but that was a i came back the day i came back to work as the full-time uh, general manager was the day we closed the business for the flood of 93 we were closed for 47 days and when we opened up there was no road that could get you here anyway so it really was a bust season for 93 Um, But that's when I became the general manager. And then he and I, he would always have me uh, going to one of his other operations because at that time he had four boats. 
And so in the winter months, I would travel to other locations and I would work for them either um, as an electrician, a troubleshooter, or as a pilot, just kind of depend on what they needed where. So between Mobile, Alabama, Jeffersonville, Indiana, and uh, that sort of thing. So we were driving around a lot. And one day he uh, just came up to me and he said, you know, we're thinking about retiring from the boat business. And he said, would you be interested? And I said, well, yeah, yeah, I think I am. And then, so that started, that was in 96 that that started. Now, at that time, my youngest daughter had just finished cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. And so if anybody wants to guess what happens to your credit rating and all of that, oh, yeah. when you become, uh, <laughs> when you have a child on treatment and what happens when you're dealing with all that, well, uh, we can save that for another podcast as well. That'd be a whole but in, yeah, podcast. Be, it would be a series. We'd have to have oh, an yeah. hour, three or 12, yeah, however that works out. Oh yeah. But, um, we started the process to buy the business and, um, Quite honestly, it, it was it was very upsetting at times. I mean, you know, uh, you have to get used to being told no. And my mm-hmm. two-year-old granddaughter does not like being told no. Oh, of course. But, um, <laughs> you know, I kind of just kept after it. And then with the help of some friends in town who knew some other uh, banking institutions actually very close to home, we went and talked to a gentleman. And he looked at me and he goes, you've had 19 years experience? I said, yeah. He says, so you pretty much know how it runs. I said, oh, yeah. I said, that's not a problem. And he said, well, he said, you're a lot like a farmer when you look at how it's structured because we're seasonal just like farms and all that. So we uh, we sat there and talked. And then about a half hour later, he leans back in his chair, puts his arms behind his neck and says, I think we can do this. So seven banks told me no, but he told me yes, but I think he thinks we can. Now, if anybody's ever done an SBA loan, I've got to tell you that the mm. paperwork on that's about a foot and a half <laughs> thick when they get done. Yep. But um, Grace of God came with us, and on April the 2nd of, at 12.15 in the afternoon on April the 2nd, we uh, signed the papers. And then at 12.30, April the 2nd, we were standing in the middle of the of our wharf boat gift shop and say, what have we just done? <laughs> <laughs> right. And reality sets in. I feel like, uh, you know, we've, we've had a couple of other business owners um, on this podcast, and I think that that is a necessity. Like after after you sign mm. there and, you know, you, you look around and you're like, what did we do? <laughs> well, you know, like most businesses, though, when you, when you buy a business or you start a business, you've got this – ramp up period you know you've got a couple months where you get ramped up and going no that very next day we were running i mean we were running the business and so there was no time to say well let's figure out how to do it we already were going from what i had learned before and my wife sandy had worked for the company for a little bit so she knew what to handle in the gift shop interesting thought though they were told us uh, the previous owners told us that uh, sandy was to keep her day job and we weren't to work together Hmm. And they said, uh, husband and wife never works out. Well, I got to tell you, it worked out for us because uh, Sandy uh, took uh, the reservations and the gift shop and and all that side of it. I took the operations side of the business. And, you know, we had been together a while and we knew each other. But quite honestly, I just couldn't imagine ever doing a business like this without her. We are the largest excursion boat operation that's not really owned by a big company. We are a mom and pop. Now, my friends up in Minnesota, uh, they have three boats, and I don't quite know how their structure is, but I know Gus is pretty much in charge of that. But 
for the operation of like what we run, it's very um, unusual to find it as a mom and pop. But mom and pop were running this on April the 2nd. You know, we signed in and we started our season and there we go. The the rest is history. Well, yeah. And history keeps uh, extending itself out. Just when you think you've seen it all, no. No. (laughs) Something new comes along. (laughs) So you never know quite what you're going to get into next. Well, I I think that, um, you know, you you alluded to Mark Twain's life on the Mississippi. And there's some great quotes in that book. You know, any time... Uh, you know, he writes a character. People say it's so lifelike. He said, well, I've met him. I met him on the river. Thank you for joining us for the Hannibal Rivertown Review Podcast. We'll get back to the show in just a moment. We want to remind you that if you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Also, for comments and suggestions, you can email us at rivertownreview at gmail.com and visit us at rivertownreview.com and Rivertown Review on Facebook. I can only imagine how many personalities and people you have you have met um, in your journey. I, I know that I have I've thrown you some some curveballs of hey so and so from the you know travel channel or somebody you know some they want to come and talk to you and you know I uh, you've uh, I, I know you've met some interesting folks in your time. Um, do you have any ones that stand out? Well. A lot of people don't know who this gentleman is, but Sir Trevor McDonald. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Google him, people. Sir Trevor McDonald was on the boat in the what? pilot house. Now, I don't know that he's going to dial into this podcast, and if he does, well, I'm going to have say, to. I need to Google. Uh, uh, if, yeah. if, he, if he does, I, I, I will, I'll spaz out. I'll just tell you that right <laughs> well, now. Well, I just, you know, when I first met him, uh, for those of you who don't know him, Googling that you bet. But, you know, it's a lot like to, it, for us older folks. I don't know if Megan remembers Charles Kuralt, but he's kind of like the Car- Charles Kuralt of the UK. I th- that's the way yes. I describe him. Yes. And um, that was uh, an interesting event because at first he was pretty standoffish and he goes, I'm Sir Trevor McDonald. And I'm going like, yeah, and I'm Captain Steve. And, you know, and, and there was that, he was kind of hovering over me in importance, if you will, and better than me. But, you know, by the end of the cruise, we were in the pilot house, he was driving the boat and they were filming him and he was doing his stuff. And, um, we actually, in a matter of three short hours, became pretty good friends. That doesn't mean we go to coffee or tea or anything like that because he's still in the UK and I'm here. But um, he was one of them that pops into my head as a remembrance of what was a a really good experience. And then, well, let's see. I've had some uh, very high up officials from Japan sit in the pilot house with me and uh, it was beneath them to steer the boat. So uh, <laughs> you get an idea of where they're at in the level. It was a husband and wife. And uh, anyway, it was, I don't even remember their names. But then I think one of the most notable folks that we've ever had on the boat was in the year 2000 when we ran the boat up to La Crosse, Wisconsin in August. And we picked up Vice President Al Gore, his wife Tipper, and then uh, the Liebermans and brought their entourage down the river for five days as he started his presidential campaign. Ah. Now, I have to tell you that um, 
It was very intense, very intense because we had the uh, Secret Service. We had the, I mean, <laughs> holy cow! Here yeah. we go. You know, you're, you're on, you're on an, an internet like a, a waterway that is. Oh my! Over. Yeah, and you got a bunch of guys in suits that are talking into into mm. their towels, oh, yeah. wearing mirrored shades, and the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, we had one a man who was one of the leads for the Secret Service team, and. Uh, the only way I can describe him, he's very muscular, very, very nice, very knowledgeable, but his neck was the size of my thigh. <laughs> and going like, okay, well, I'm not going to mess with you because I already know. But it was just, it was just real interesting how it all came together. Um, the whole event was staged by um, Hollywood producer. And that's who I originally met. Now, Mort was... Uh, Hollywood producer for the Smoking the Bandit oh. and uh, Smoking the Bandit 2. And then he brought his friend with him, and his friend was the producer and director for Police Academy. Ah. So, I mean, we're dealing with Hollywood influence here, okay? Sure. And and Mort was actually on board the boat with us, and, you know, he's used to being the director and telling everybody else what they're going to do. And then I was telling him, no, that is not going to happen. Nope. But um, it was interesting to see how it all came together and – um. Then my wife, Sandy, and I, she was on board the boat, and we got to meet the, the Gores. And I have to tell you that when you turn the cameras off and the press is not around them, they're just like us. I mean, we had just marvelous conversations. Their grandparents were grandparents. You know, it just was wonderful conversations. But as soon as that camera turned back on, it's like, wow. Who's this? You know, because it was just totally different. But it was it was a wonderful experience to have them on board the boat. Um, Al Gore steered the boat for about 15 minutes. And then Tipper came up and said, Al, get out of the way. It's my turn. She stood for an hour and a half and she steered the boat. And um, she stood up there barefoot and just steered the boat. And down the river we came. And we had a we had a kind of a code because the vice president's um, secret service uh, Richard Wright was in charge of the detail for his coverage. And so it was really interesting. And Richard came up to me and just said to me, he says, if they ever ask you to do anything you don't want to do, he says, just if I'm standing there, he said, just wink at me. He says, I'll help, I'll help you make it happen or not happen in this case. Well, we're coming downstream and Tipper decides oh, this on a Sunday afternoon and everybody's on sandbar up river. And she said, can we push in there and hang out? Oh. Well, um, oh. Richard was standing behind her and he's going, shaking his head. No, <laughs> very emphatically. She didn't see him shaking his head. No. And I said, well, I said, ma'am, I'm said, I'm sorry, but, um, it's probably not the best place for us to push in with all these little boats and stuff. So I'm going to have to tell you, no. And he came up later and shook my head and said, thank you. That was unscripted, unprepared, and we had nobody to secure that beach. And I said, <laughs> I get it, you know, but that was the kind of thing that went on, and uh, it was all about safety. Now, the downside was we had three pilots on that day, myself and two others, all qualified to run the boat. Problem was, because I was the owner and, and lead pilot, whenever the vice president was on board, I had to be in the pilot house. Needless to say, by the time we got to Hannibal, Missouri, Steve was one tired guy. I'd say so. <laughs> so um, but they, they, they didn't stay on board the boat all night. Now, they would get off the boat as the dusk would come around. We'd push in, and then motor coaches and their um, Secret Service vehicles would take them to wherever they were supposed to go, and then we'd move the boat to the next location. But it was an awesome 
event to say I was a part of. It's great to talk about it now, and I, I can honestly tell you I didn't charge enough for it. Mm. But um, still, it was a, it was something. My kids got to be a part of it, and to think that uh, Vice President Gore, on uh, one day, uh, my daughter, my youngest daughters were on board, and he was chasing them around the boat, being a grandpa. Uh, and they remember that. They remember him chasing them because, you know, they were eight and ten. So, you know, it was really awesome to, to see what was how it played out. But it was a pretty awesome experience. So, yeah. I know you have had uh, people, you, you've told me stories about, uh, uh, I, I don't think it would be out of line to say that people that want to come for the Hannibal experience, and Megan and I have talked about as far as the Mark Twain properties go, but I would say at or near the top of everybody's list that wants to come and experience Hannibal is the riverboat. Yep. yep. I get that more all the time. And i tell you what, well, here's case in point. When we uh, blocked off that week, actually 10 days to go up river, it was at the end of August and the tourism cycle in Hannibal, you wouldn't think the end of August would be an issue because school started, you know, travel is down and everything like that. The Visitors Bureau office could tell you a whole different story about that time because they got earfuls hourly about, what do you mean the riverboat's not there? What do you mean we can't take a boat ride? You know, I drove all the way from California to ride this riverboat at 1.30 and it's not here. What's up with that? My favorite one is I had some people from Hawaii that told me that once. They said, we drove all the way from Honolulu to be here to ride this boat and you're not running today. I said, well, ma'am, I said, the weather's 80 mile an hour winds and thunderstorm coming over our head i said i'm not leaving the dock well we we did all this and then we can't go i said well we might be able to go later but that made me uh understand a little bit more of the importance of the river and to experience it because our whole goal on the riverboat is to give you a glimpse of what sam clemens saw that made him want to write Tom Sawyer, Life on the Mississippi, Huckleberry Finn, all of his books, and why the river was so important to him. Now, because of the Civil War, he didn't. He was only in the river about four years. Well, I'm coming up on number 42 in July, so a little difference in time frame. But if it hadn't been for the Civil War, we might not be seeing the books that we see today. That's right. Because he's still been in the pilot house. Yeah, because that was, that was what jazzed him from the very beginning. It was the river. Oh yeah, yeah, very and much so. I think when when you know, you talk about visitors and I, I what what the boat's not running and and I think that with such large and this is just my opinion, but you know you have these large giant river boats that go um, or well cruise ships say like on the ocean you know that hold four thousand people or you have you know much much larger operations that people kind of lose sight of the fact that the river literally and figuratively is fluid as a, as a, as a, as a, like you said, mom and pop organization, you aren't going to do anything to put yourself, your crew or your passengers in danger. And so, you know, you have all of the up-to-date equipment to know, you know, wind, debris in the river. I mean, I've, I've seen all of your, 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 things and i i don't Wife know calls what them toys mean. <laughs> your, your toys i've seen all the high-tech toys that tell you whether or not you should go out and um i think that people even if even if they are upset 
perhaps it gives them an appreciation of, you know, we have not tamed Mother Nature. We've we've not we've we've not yeah. tamed the Mother river's going to do what the river's going to do. do what the river's going to do. And well, you know that came uh, very much alive last year with the Branson incident and everything with that the, happened with the duck there. Boats, those yeah. ducks that were not supposed to sink sunk. Well, you know it's really interesting in that, and I I have a rule, and I tell all my captains this. I said, you never criticize the captain. Because you weren't there, you weren't running the vessel. But what I can criticize him for is he should never put it in the water. The office told him to turn the trip around and run the water portion first. And if they hadn't turned the trip around, they'd still been on the bank when the storm hit. Now, that same storm system actually was curling around that night and coming back across uh, for Illinois to Missouri. Now... Uh, for those of you that I know it's a podcast, you can't see what I'm talking about. But when we get storms that come back from Illinois, which is basically east northeast of us, and come back across the river, generally they're worse mm -hmm. than what we have if it's a line coming from west to east. That night, I'm coming upstream and I call the crew and I say, We're landing the boat 30 minutes early. And I said, We've got a storm system coming in. I can see it. I'm watching it on radar. I see everything that's going. I said, we're going to put it, to, we're putting it to bed early. And so we landed about 25 minutes early that night. Um, some of the customers asked, why are you, why did our cruise get shortened? And I said, uh, if you look over across the river and they sell the, the dark billowing clouds, you know, definitely a storm coming. They start to see lightning flashing in it and they go, uh, we get it. We're going to the car. <laughs> you know, I said, see you later. Yeah. But you know, you touched on it and it's true. I'm going home tonight. I'm not putting the boat at risk and I'm not putting any passengers at risk, period. That's just the way it works out. And so, you know, that's where the captain's rule is. If the captain says we're done, we're done. And uh, sometimes we make some enemies on that. Now, everybody that was riding that dinner cruise that night, I handed them a, a pass. I said, if you want to come and ride 11 o'clock tomorrow and get, take a sightseeing cruise with us, it's on me. So that you can get your boat ride and you can, you, you get to actually see both sides of it. Cause we don't do a lot of tour talk on dinner. We do all that during sightseeing. And so, you know, they, those that could stay and that wanted to take advantage of it did and had a marvelous time. But, um, I, I'm a chicken when it comes to being on the river. And I, I use that term only because it's safety first. And if I don't feel comfortable with it, if I have an issue with it, then we don't go. Now, I have relief captains, and they don't have quite the experience of 40 years almost of running the boat. And um, I always tell them, I say, if you're not comfortable with the situation, don't leave the dock. Now, uh, one night, uh, one of my captains said, this is a little more wind than I'm comfortable with. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, I'm supposed to be off tonight. That's no big deal. I'll ride with you. And so we went out. How is she going to get experience if you don't actually deal with the situation? Uh, there was no reason for him to be terribly concerned because he had the skill level, but he was letting the not having done it before be over his uh, knowledge of his skills. The apprenticeship and, goes back yeah, to being Yeah, an even though he's licensed. I, right. You know, you could come in today and say, I got a pilot's license. I got a hundred ton license. I can run this boat for you. And I say, hmm. Nope. No, no, <laughs> until I can let it go out with my grandkids on board and not have to worry about what, worry about it. You're not running it. 
And mm-hmm. so the apprenticeship never ends. And when the day that you think your apprenticeship is over, especially on the river, that's when it comes and bites you in the rear end. And that makes you say, uh, okay, well, maybe I didn't know everything. Had a gentleman one time come in and he wanted to be a relief pilot. And I said, okay, he came in from Grafton, Illinois. And uh, we're on a Saturday afternoon trip and um, not a whole lot of wind or anything like that. And he was landing, getting ready to land the boat. It was his first landing. He, and he, his attitude was, I can run any boat anywhere at any time. And so as he's lining up for landing, I said, you know, you're a little bit low. I said, you ought to probably go higher. He said, don't tell me how to run a boat. I've been doing this for years. Well, I've been doing it about five years. I've already been doing it 15. So, mm-hmm. I mean, whatever. Uh, so I just shut up. He came around the corner, he landed hard, he broke the stern spar pole on the gift shop, and it went into the rocks, and, you know, everything was fine, nobody got hurt, didn't, you know, but it just broke that pole. He stayed the next day and helped us change the pole. Never came back. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's just where, if you go in with attitude sometimes, confidence is one thing. Mm-hmm. Attitude's a to- whole, totally different thing, and Mississippi River will get you. I mean, you know, um, even on a calm, clear day, um, there's things that if you're not watching out for, it'll get you, and that's all part of experience. Sam Clemens knew that as he was doing his piloting and that, and, you know, he Bixby's telling him, well, you, do you remember what I told you about this this shore here? And he goes, uh, no. <laughs> well, in paraphrasing, he says, well, didn't? Didn't you write any? Oh, no. Why do you think I was telling you all this? I thought you were being entertaining. (laughs) Well, no. He was being being learned, if you will, Mm -hmm. in that. And so even today, with all the advances in technology and all the extra horsepower and all... Back in 77, when I started, if we thought there was a storm coming, we would call flight service up at Quincy. And this is before they had radar. And they would look out the window and say, well, we see a storm, you know, it's probably 35 miles away, you know. Wet your finger and stick it in the uh, exactly. air. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, see the wind and that. But, you know, in today's technology, um, you can look at your cell phone. You can look on mm-hmm. my computer screen. And we've got up-to-date radar. And I say up-to-date, that's a relative term because it's still about five to ten minutes behind the actual because you got to give them minutes to get it uploaded to the internet and then for it to get dispersed in the internet. So, you know, you got to keep that time window in there, but it's all the technology that's available today that makes things safer and that, and like the Branson incident, like I said, the, the captain let the office make the decisions. We, we have, we have compiled a list over our, all of our episodes of people that once we've had them on once, we need to have them back. Mm-hmm. And Steve's name has been added to that list. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, you know, you you have um, obviously a wealth of, of knowledge and of experience. And I love the fact that not only you know, a, a healthy respect for the river. I mean, it, it really, it goes to show that, again, Mother Nature, we, we have not tamed her nope. um and and we you never and you never stop learning you <laughs> never stop learning once you think you know the river and you know it all that's uh, the the, the, builder, the builders the builders the builders of the titanic <laughs> called it unsinkable and we have another hannibal resident uh, mm. or a former hannibal resident who would have argued with that so mm. 
Steve, thank you so much for coming and talking with us, and I hope you'll come back. I've really enjoyed it. And I, I again, you know, Harold knows how I work in that. He says, give him a subject and just sit back and sleep for a half hour and he'll go. So, um, <laughs> you know, I just appreciate the opportunity. We'd love to come back and, you know, we could visit some more, have a lot of stories. And, you know, one of these days I might even cross that third thing and I might write my book. We're waiting for that book. Well, it's it's uh, it's in progress. Let's put it that way. Is, is it going to be like what, like Mark Twain's um, autobiography, where it's going to have to wait for a hundred a hundred years after you're dead before you get it published? <laughs> well, I don't know. I just went online to see what my social security was going to be when I could retire. So I might need to push that up a little bit. <laughs> years plus. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah. So thanks for the opportunity. All right. <laughs> thanks yep. so much. Thank Steve. you. I'm Harold Smith. I'm Megan Rapp. And we thank you for joining us for the Rivertown Review Podcast, and we'll see you next time.